Hey guys, my name is Quinn Cully and this is True Product, a show that dives into the weeds of real projects from PMs around the world. I started this show because most product content out there provides high-level frameworks or theories, and I've always wanted to go a bit deeper. So each week I'll chat with a new PM about a specific project they worked on, how it got prioritized, what the objective was, what tools they use, and the hard results, both good and bad. So stick around, and if you have any feedback at all, please shoot me a note on Twitter at True Product Podcast. Thanks and enjoy. That's recording. All right, I think we're good. Cool. You good? Yeah, I'm good. All right, why don't we start with the uh, nice little introduction? Um, go through just who you are, where you're working, the basics. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on the show. Of course. Uh, appreciate it. Um, my name's Keith. I work at Noom. I'm a nice. growth product manager there, and I've been there for about a year. I guess next month it'll be it'll be a year, but it seems like a lot longer than that. It's like changed a lot. So yeah, but it's been good. Nice. And what team are you on? Uh, it's only the growth team. Nice. So like the way I guess it's kind of structured is we have like the overall growth team, which houses both growth marketing um, as well as growth product. Yep. So I'm on like the product side and uh, like the core product is like a mobile app. So like the growth product team doesn't really work on the mobile app. Um, it's more like our, you know, acquisition infrastructure. So yeah. like the website, uh, email marketing, you know, email drip uh, as well as like the upsell store that's sort of all on like the growth side nice. and then so like the product team will do like all the infrastructure for like the website and you know obviously a lot of different teams like need things you know from the website and then the growth marketing team itself is more like all the you know paid channels like kind of like uh, we do create a lot of in-house ads as well but then basically like optimizing and like managing just like our paid channels yeah. and partners and things like that and what's the what's the one-liner pitch on Noom? What is- <clears throat> yeah so Noom is uh, so it's a weight loss product um, but the focus is on like changing your core habits and behaviors yeah. like to uh, result in weight loss as opposed to you know like a strict like diet or fitness program that you have to adhere to um, so it's really yeah you know kind of like a cognitive behavioral approach um, you know with like a coach that kind of guides you through a curriculum um, focusing more on you know figuring out like what your you know triggers are or um, you know kind of like I guess getting like a little bit more on the you know sort of like emotional side and like the lifestyle side yeah. as opposed to just like you know what you eat or what you do yeah so and what does what an average uh, day of a new user look like yeah yeah so the you know once you're in the product um, like in the app you have kind of like a daily schedule with like different like you know modules or articles and so a lot of it's like education based like you know talking about things like calorie density um, or you know it's like a really light and kind of like fun way of introducing these you know topics to yeah. you know kind of like educate you so there'll be like a few modules or articles you know that are like learning things and you'll have prompts to like log meals um, there's you know yeah you can log like you know meals there's a calorie tracker uh, messaging with your coach as well like a big part of it is like keeping users like motivated and like you know uh, committed as well so like you know a good kind of like reminder system to you know keep people engaged and you know if they do have missed like three or four days like not to feel like okay you know scrub this like i'm gonna have to yeah. have like another day one in a couple months but you know keeping the momentum going yeah um, makes sense yeah um how did you come to be a pm yeah, that's, so that's a really good question. So when I graduated college, I was working, ultimately it was like a sales job. So I was working like in finance, like I came up to New York, I was like, all right, all my friends are doing it, like I want to do this as well. And what um, did you study undergrad? I studied psychology and marketing. Oh, nice. And that's, I guess I was sort of late to the game. Everyone was like doing consulting or finance. So I was like, okay, I want to like jump on board. So uh, my clients were hedge funds and I worked at this company called Alpha Sites. So it was uh, basically like a primary research provider. So they're doing diligence, we connect them with like industry experts. Um, kind of stressful environment that was also like a small sort of like growth stage company a lot of that burden got passed down to the associates and Sounds just looking right. for something different so 
And I left and I went to Google and that was also like a sales job. Um, but I figured, I mean, I can't really like turn that down. Like maybe I won't really like the sales aspect, but I was a digital strategy lead there for the accelerated growth team. So I was like working with, uh, you know, companies that had a lot of like growth potential with AdWords and like YouTube advertising and things, but we're underutilizing it. So I'd, you know, partner with them and, you know, basically kind of act as like Google's in-house agency to grow, um, these like high potential, like, I guess, client, uh, spend. And so that's when I was really introduced to like, you know, click-through rates, conversions, like digital advertising. I had no background in it, but I uh, found it really interesting. But again, I found myself like much more interested in like the data and like, you know, the customer's like product and landing pages, yeah. um, you know, but it was a sales job. So there's a sales component, which I really didn't like. I was like, all right, well, I really want to be in products. You know, if I don't like sales at Google, I probably don't like sales anywhere. Uh, so I left, um, actually tried to start my own company. In hindsight, it was sort of, uh, like very misguided and also like not enough groundwork went into it before I started. But this was back when like Fortnite and like Twitch streaming was like blown yeah, up. Yeah. And you know, you have guys like Ninja, it's like a big streamer, you'd have like 80, 85,000 people at any given time like watching him. So I was like, okay, there's gotta be something here with like, you know, analytics or like some little tool that can engage more with your audience. Or, you know, I just sort of saw the whole ecosystem as like 80,000 people showing up to watch like LeBron James shoot free throws in an empty gym. It's yeah. like, okay, there's just so much opportunity here. Yeah. And, um, you know, originally it was supposed to be like a little analytics tool, then it kind of turned into like a publisher site, but I had like a little WordPress and like website and ultimately like, yeah, I, you know, shut things down, but I was like, okay, it's a lot of fun. It's also a good experience to, you know, bring to like a product interview. Completely. And I ended up at Noom because it kind of fit like the profile in terms of, you know, leadership, like size, funding, um, and I think I'm not equipped to do like a more technical, like product role, at least, yeah. you know, not now, but at the time, like doing like a growth product role. So a lot of it was like more marketing than it was like, you know, yeah. ETL pipelines and yeah. things like that. That's just way beyond me. So it was like a really good kind of foot in the door into the product world. Yeah. And are you, uh, so you're in the growth PM role right now. Do you want to slowly make your way over to more of like the product product PM or do you like playing in that sweet spot? You know, that's a good question. I think when I first started, um, I really wanted to be like a TPM, yeah. like I like aspired to be that. I thought it was just like, you know, cooler work or, you know, it would mean that I'd have like better like technical chops or like a yeah. program. But now I think I'm actually just like a lot better naturally at the marketing side. Yeah. And so I do like, I think I would like to say kind of on like the growth side, while still like kind of building out my, you know, core product toolkit, but it's like more interesting when your KPIs are like, you know, revenue and like acquisition instead of like, you know, like uh, reducing like an error rate for some like backend thing. Like it's yeah. just, uh, you know, I don't know, not super exactly. interesting to me, but we shall see. Yeah, there's a nested, a nested KPI. You yeah, get around top. exactly. And I do, and we'll get into it. Um, I love talking with you the first time is realizing that uh, one, your experimentation layer has so much product in it, mm -hmm. like where that line is drawn between like, oh, getting users to the site versus like converting them to whatever it is that metric that you guys measure it by and then handing them off to product, but really enjoy that. Um, Nice. All right. So let's talk a little bit about team structure at Noom. Um, so between marketing, growth PMs, PMs, and mm -hmm. anybody else, what do the overall teams look like? Yeah. So I kind of covered the growth team, you know, growth marketing as well as growth product. Then we have, we call like the A team, which is like our mobile app team. So they are, you know, like the Android and iOS developers. Um, and then like the, the product team. So there's growth product and then like the real product yeah. is, you know, basically all the product work as it relates to the, you know, the app itself yeah. and, and that experience. And then, you know, we have like a B2B, um, you know, side of the business as well, which is growing um, a big part of the business, like the coaching portion, because we yep. do employ, you know, like over a thousand like full-time coaches. They're not, it's not like an Uberized model, yeah. like they're full-time employees. And it's, you know, it's not like an AI bot that's talking with our users. It's yeah. like a real coach. So a really big like coaching program. Yep. Um, and then, you know, like structural teams, you know, finance, HR, et cetera. 
But yeah, that's a, oh yeah, and then like a big, you know, data engineering team. And, nice. Um, yeah, what's the relative structure or size of each team, I'd say? Yeah, I'd say right now, like the growth team in total is maybe 25 people across yeah. like marketing and growth products. Then the, you know, core product team is probably about the same size. Yeah. I think it's about maybe like a hundred or so total at the company in like HQ and then, you know, a thousand plus coaches. Nice. Very cool. Um, and then what, um, how would you define the highest level? What are the objectives or the goals of the growth team? Yeah. Great question. So objective of the growth team, um, is to grow, you know, revenue acquisition signups, you know, all of those things. But I'd say, like obviously that's the end result that we're you know trying to get yep. with the work that we do. But the big focus is to like run as many experiments as possible. We have like a really big A/B testing culture, and like everything, um, any like you know change that we make, especially to our like our acquisition yep. you know approach and funnels, is like all just iterative improvement, like proven through A/B testing. So yep. actually, I think our goal is to run like as many experiments as possible. That's nice. like the leading indicator. Yep. You know, then like the lagging indicator would be successful experiments and. Obviously, for experimenting the right way and for the right things, then you know a successful experiment will lead to like you know revenue growth. Do you like do that. you see a consistent measurement in like maybe the middle KPI of it? Is it <clears throat> signups? Is it free trial counts? What is the? Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. So I mean, the whole thing is just like this giant equation, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like you get you know x amount of money that you pay for traffic, which comes to the website, and then you know the conversion rate. That's like a huge you know lever if we can get you know three signups. For the same you know price that we got two signups for like before the last like baseline to change from an experiment then yep. you know it's more for the same amount of money and then you know past the point of sign up we do have like a trial uh window that's two weeks and so like activation is a big thing as well um so if we have like an experiment that increases you know conversion rate on the site like a ton but it leads to really bad like you know retention like downstream effects yeah. you know we're not actually making any money yeah um so kind of like balancing all that. And then, you know, like revenue per customer, we do have an upsell store. Uh, we have different plan links that have, you know, different prices. So yeah, that's sort of like the whole thing. But I'd say, you know, probably first and foremost is conversion rate. Um, we've recently started doing a lot more on like revenue per user as well as like product expansion. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'd say like, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably conversion rate yeah. on the site. The holy grail. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So. I think a big theme about like the show, one of the things I really want to dive into is like two things. One is like a uh, process, like I, having been in early stage companies, mm -hmm. I really care about process, especially how you one set objectives to prioritize what's important and like gather information from internal, external stakeholders. So what does basically the yearly, quarterly, monthly planning and prioritization look like for you guys? Yeah, that's a good question. So we like, we set our goals, I think, you know, like OKRs or OMs, uh, I think like that's like a Google thing or something yeah, yeah. that's probably been adopted by a bunch of startups. Yeah. So like sort of the quarterly goals is like the big picture, you know, kind of the more like, you know, nebulous things that are harder to tackle straight on, but it's like, okay, we want to, you know, get the product into the hands of more people. Like yeah. I'd say that would be like a quarterly OM. So then what we do is we like sort of break it down. So in order to reach that, you know, goal, it's very tough to like give someone a directive, like, okay, like go get, you know, more people to sign up. Yeah, so yeah. it's like, okay, we, you know, break it down into like the bottleneck. So, you know, conversion rate would be a bottleneck preventing more signups or, you know, like, uh, you know, reaching like a certain uh, ratio or something like spend to the revenue ratio for like different acquisition channels. So yeah. it's, you know, start to like kind of parse it out by like what the bottlenecks are or like what are the actual like levers they need to improve to get to that end goal. Yeah. So we do that on like a quarterly basis, but more like practically, we do like a weekly um, reporting and like experimentation schedule. So we will, you know, over the course of the week, you know, 
uh, like we'll ideate, we'll write the design docs, we'll get the docs into the hands of the engineer, we'll run the experiments and we'll like analyze the results. And, you know, we try and do like really, really, really fast. So we'll try and do at least like six or seven experiments a week across, you know, different like acquisition channels. Now, across, and how many are like, I know you guys expanded the PM team on the growth side. How yeah. many are like, are you responsible for versus other PMs? Yeah. So that's a little, I think we're still trying to figure it out. When right. I first started, like I was very much a pure play, like yeah. website optimizer. So yeah. I was probably running like seven experiments, like an experiment a day, like by myself. Um, now there's three other PMs that have joined me. And so a lot of my time is like training and onboarding and, yeah. you know, a little bit more of like a catch-all for random stuff yeah. coming to the growth team. So I don't experiment. The last few months has not been as much, but yeah. it's going to start ramping up again. But I'd say like, you know, we have a PM who's dedicated to the upsell store. So she's trying to run about two or three. And obviously like the amount of traffic is like lower because that's all like post sign up. Yep. So she'll run like two or three. Then we have two other PMs that are kind of like training and onboarding like on the website. It's like a good starting spot. So they're, you know, trying to hit like three or four as well themselves. Nice. And Kind of experimenting like when I can for yeah. higher priority things. That definitely makes sense. And where where do you think in your career um, did you one understand the value of experimentation? Uh, two understand how to like really set up a true experiment and run it properly. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, where in my career? I mean, it's probably not much more than a few months ago. Um, well, I think so. I read this, you know, uh, Hack and Growth by Sean Ellis, I believe is the author. That was really, really, really insightful for me. Um, actually, on my first day of work when I showed up, my manager was uh, on his honeymoon so yeah. I didn't have any one telling me what to do <laughs> and so he just gave me like a booklet so I was like reading like this first week like that. and that was one of the books. yeah so that was like one of the books that really stuck with me um, just talking about like you know how experimentation has kind of like led to growth for all these you know big companies and like cases in the past yeah. and then I was kind of humbled I think in my first month I didn't have like a single thing work and they yeah. were all like really bad and I was like Damn, like I'm just like wasting resources if you know these are all like performing worse it's just you know and then I think it was when I had like my first success and yeah. I was like okay I can actually see like how this conversion rate increase translates to like this you know revenue increase or more people now getting into the products so now the product team has more like customers to you know a bigger sample size for them to improve and now it's all just like wow like that wasn't that tricky but it had like yeah. huge you know ripple effect so yeah. and quickly I know this is one of the favorite <coughs> things uh, I like we talked earlier you have obviously become a bit of a bottleneck maybe of knowledge from all the oh, experiments you run. Yeah, so as definitely. you grow out and as you bring on a few more PMs, how are you transferring that knowledge? That's also, you know, still very much a work in progress. Um, but yeah, we always joke, uh, my manager and I, that like there's too much information in our head and it's like just not acceptable that that's the only place that it is. Yeah. Um, and obviously you want to avoid scenarios where, you know, new PMs show up and, you know, we're giving them directives to go write design docs. And if they're writing yeah, like yeah. design docs and doing pre-analysis for something we've already tested, then it's kind of a waste of time. So at the moment, it's still small enough where we can like talk and yeah. like, you know, I can reference something that I know is a thing without, you know, having like a database to point to or like it being on a learning module. Yeah. But what we're just starting to do more is like documentation of everything in real time in a way that is, uh, will be like easily like indexed or like accessed later, um, just kind of as a look back. So, you know, basically like all the experiments um, and the results and like the design docs and all the relevant like mocks and stuff are loaded onto like a single row in uh, like an air table nice. that we use and then we have like tagged it by a different area in the funnel so if it's like email experiment or really cool. you know sign up experiment or certain like focused on the survey or you know pricing or trial yeah. um, so it's actually instead of it just being like you know 400 random like docs just scattered yeah, yeah. in our google drive it's all in one area and you can filter it by you know an area or the pm that ran it or the date and so that's 
getting better. Yeah, um, that's a great version. So we're in progress. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I know a lot of teams struggle with that, and even like me, it was like more, I guess, on the product product side of things, uh, <coughs> mm-hmm. because every single project is like a different KPI or a different subset of a KPI. Like structuring it so that someone can easily navigate mm-hmm. in here um, is like extremely important. So important, yes. And it, it is. Like, every every PM that joins any company like like would kill to have like that documentation. Like, hey, hey, here's the whole product. Here's mm-hmm. how everything works. Here's how everything like came to life and why it exists like this. Yeah. Hundred percent. Um, the uh, so the last piece before we get into like the nitty gritty of an individual project, let's say uh, great you go through some planning prioritization of this is the goal for the month, this is the goal for the year, whatever it is. You're running weekly experiments now. Um, I think you've referenced the idea of a design doc, but when you start on an individual project, what is the like um, the checklist or execution that you usually take for each project? Sure. So I'll give you like the life cycle for one project, yeah. and then keep in mind that there's probably four or five like live irons in the fire yeah, at yeah. any given time, like in various stages. So it is a lot of like context switching and kind of you know it's not like every single experiment for the week is on the same cadence, yeah. kind of a rolling schedule. But you know, start with just like ideation. So we will you know, sit down and brainstorm, and we do it in like a variety of different ways. Maybe we'll pull people in from other sides of the company, like user researcher or like B2B or coaching team or like anything. Just like sit down and just like have a brainstorm session or whether it's to, you know, just the PMs or something. Like. And quickly, how big is the research team? <clears throat> uh, it's like two people, <laughs> two, nice. three people. But like everyone's kind of a research. Do you usually uh, aim the research team or do they like, are they out there gathering information and then you're like, hey, I want to get information on this. And you're like, oh, we can query our database of like lessons we've learned. Yeah, so as far as research goes, um, I think it's just how the process works is sort of a function of how they've like originated in the past. Basically, yeah. they mostly do um, like surveys and um, things like for product experiments that are yep. running. So yeah. it's like, hey, you were you know placed into like a different like coaching protocol. Now obviously they're not like saying that, they're like, hey, what did you think about this? So it's mostly like actually the product experiments and like the mobile app, like the core app itself yep. that sense. they are doing like, you know, you know, surveys and emails. And then we haven't as much been doing like user interviews for like sign up funnel or like even like top funnel like advertising. Yep. But as there's just more resources, we're gonna start doing that more as well. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, yeah, so like sit down, brainstorm a bunch of uh, ideas, you know, if they're like moonshots or really crazy, uh, we want to, you know, don't want to like limit the creativity. Yep. And then from that, we'll, uh, we call it like icing. I'm sure a lot of other teams do it as well. We score them based off like impact, confidence, and ease. So, you know, impactful is like... Is it one through five? Or they... uh, one through 10. Okay. So uh, impact and ease are scored out of 10 and then confidence is out of five, just really because we've like learned over time the things that we don't think will work, work, and the yeah, things yeah. that we do think will work. Don't work. How so. much, and how much, because like we, I think a lot of people, a lot of VMs have used this type of framework mm-hmm. in one form or another where it's like, all right, let's try to quickly estimate the impact, the cost, the mm-hmm. ease of something like this. Um, how well do you think everybody's on the same page about like, oh, is this like, what is the definition of a four or mm-hmm. of a five? Because yeah. that's what I often see times where it's like, oh, everybody <coughs> just thinks this is really important regardless mm-hmm. of like the data yeah. they have time to collect or anything, like they're going to push for it. Yeah, that's a good question. So. We'll do our impact score based on like uh, scale flight conversion rate increase. Yeah. And so if you think it's a 10, like the highest, I think, conversion rate increase we've seen from a single experiment is around like 25%. Uh-huh, so that's so right. like a 10 would be like 25%. Nice. And then, you know, if this databasing, you know, thing works out correctly, like if, you know, maybe the idea is about like updating testimonials or having more testimonials, yeah. we could quickly look and see like all of the testimonial related experiments we've done in the past. Yeah. And maybe they all top out at like, at most like five or 7% increase. Yeah. Then we would know like, okay, on the context like of our scale and what a 10 would be, yeah. like anything to do with the testimonial probably has like a max impact of like four or something. Nice. So um, also we'll look at things like percentage of users it would affect, you know, if we do something that's like only for male users or, you know, different geographies or, yeah. you know, tax states versus non-tax states, then 
you know, if it's affecting a smaller portion of, you know, the total potential, then it'll be like a lower impact as well. Nice. Um, so those are all considerations. And a lot of times we'll have people like bring their ice list to like a meeting yeah. and kind of challenge it. It's like, okay, uh, why did you score it like that high? Um, and they're both taking the same list, going away, ranking them, and then you come back together to like, a yeah, sometimes so it's like icing the same things yeah. or most of the time everyone kind of owns their own like ice list. Yeah. So it's more like, Hey, this is what I'm like thinking of running you know, this week yep. and, uh, you know, maybe other people just like kind of challenge like the scores or be like, Hey, like in order to actually like say that, maybe you need to do a little bit more pre-work like to, you know, figure yeah. it out. So it's, it kind of flows naturally. Nice. Um, but yeah, big part is just like an open conversation. And is that about, the PM growth team? Yeah. Mostly growth? like the PMs, yeah. um, talking about that, you know, for our specific, uh, kind of areas of like the customer journey that we're, you know, focused on yep. at the moment. Nice. That makes sense. Um, um beauty. All right. So you go through and then at the end of that you basically come out with saying all right this is the one two three experiments we want to run and then yeah off. yeah exactly so you know from the top of the list ideally you know we can distill it down to a few like you know top ideas yeah. and um translate them into like a a b test which yeah. is sometimes a little tricky you have like an idea but it's like okay how do we actually like yeah, yeah. test it so that's a little bit of like the finesse involved yeah um, and then, again this is, this is why i want to do this podcast is yeah. like usually that's where the podcast ends is mm. like oh like uh, it's hard to do but like mm. we don't go into it but this is where i want to go so now all right taking we've just gone from like your team structure your planning prioritization down to like the individual product or, or project or how you get here so now let's talk about an individual project or a specific project that you've worked on recently sure give us the overview of uh, one like how did it kind of get through the planning prioritization and then get into your hands and then two walking through the little ugly life cycle of it yeah so i think one that really sticks out is uh we used to have like a dollar, well, like we have like a trial fee, obviously. Yeah. So we used to have free trial, we've experimented, you know, $5 trial, $10 yeah. trial, $1 trial. And so, you know, as it existed, it was a $1 trial. And we'd seen in the past that, you know, obviously if you increase like the price of the trial, less people will sign up, but it had like pretty big downstream effects on retention. Yeah. You know, you're going to be more likely to try something and give like your full effort into, you know, a product if you've like paid more for the trial because oh, yeah. it's kind of like a sunk cost fallacy. It's like, all right, well, I paid for this, like, you know, I'm going to use it as opposed to, it's pretty easy to blow off like a $1 trial. Yeah. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, I guess the original inception of the idea was like, okay, we'll let people just choose the price that they think is fair to pay for the trial. And we'll tell them like, Hey, our true cost is, you know, around like $18, like, which is true um but like you can choose you know anything up till you know that point whatever you think is fair basically to access your plan and my original idea was like okay 99.9 percent .9 of people will still pick a dollar because like why not like yeah. any rational person yeah. would uh, would do that um and then you know maybe we wouldn't like get any more revenue additional revenue from the trial fee but maybe like the perceived value of the trial or the program would be higher so yeah, even if they they did, the cost yeah exactly good. So then maybe like it would uh, actually increase sign up rate because yeah. they're realizing, okay, like this is a good deal for the trial. Or maybe it will like increase retention rate because, yeah. you know, they know it's, you know, not just like a flimsy $1 trial. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so we basically gave a choice. You can choose, you know, a dollar, $3, $10 or up to like what our true cost is. And one, where did you come up with this idea? Did you, <laughs> did you see another product yeah. in there or were you just like, eh, this seems like a good idea? Yeah, well, I studied psychology in um, college yeah. and that's it's gotta be like just out of a textbook or something. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, when you give someone the option, like how like willing to give are people or yeah. like people are, you know, more like, I guess like giving when given the opportunity than you'd expect. Yeah. So it probably just came originally from like my psych textbook. Really? But Very cool. I don't know. I know there are other companies that do that. I know there's yeah. a clothing company where you can choose like what you think is fair to pay or something, but there wasn't really like a, it wasn't like, okay, this other yeah, it's doing it company's doing it. Like we should do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So threw that together and it had some interesting like hiccups at the beginning. Yeah. Do you, do you think you could summarize in like one sentence what the kind of like uh, 
the objective was, the hypothesis, oh, and like sure. the... Yeah, I guess, so the objective was, you know, see like what the effect on sign-up and uh, retention is yeah. when we, you give people the choice to choose their trial fee, and then the hypothesis was, originally it was, you know, it's not gonna change, you know, people will still choose $1. Yeah. Um, however, they may be more inclined to sign up because perceived value is higher, or yeah. they may it may have a positive effect on retention rate because, um, yeah, like again, like perceived value is higher. Or if they do choose to pay more, they just are have more invested, so they're gonna like you know be more inclined to try the product. And yeah. a weight loss product is really interesting because it's got this like positive feedback loop where it's you know if you use the product more and you start like incorporating more in your life, like the more you use it, the more like results you'll see, you yeah. know, like losing weight, and so therefore then like your appraisal of the program will you know, increase or get better because you're seeing results. And so it's like, how can we get people to just like use it more yeah. um, without, uh, or because they'll see better results and they'll be like more likely to stick around. Yeah, and do you guys set up <coughs> at the beginning, like um, one like one thing our data team pushes heavily and like the product team as well is like, all right, the default action we'll take if like in the absence of conclusive evidence. <coughs> so like if we don't see anything, let's say like we, we mm -hmm. throw something out there and we can't tell one way if it's good or bad, like mm -hmm. let's decide right up if we believe like overall that like, yeah, we should stick with this route or refer if there's any conclusive evidence. Mm -hmm. So we so we like test everything to ninety nine percent stats. Yeah. Like we're actually like in a really nice position where we have a ton of site traffic. Yeah, and like, especially in that time of funnel, yeah, that'd be great. So like we can get you know that sample size in like twenty four hours. Yeah. You know, uh, recently like less just because we're getting like you know spending a lot more on advertising. Yeah. Whereas like the product team on the other hand, they should be a lot more careful with their experiments because yeah. they got to run for like two or three weeks, and it's yeah. kind of like you have this one shot. So for us, we'll you know test them. We test like pretty fast and loose to be honest. Yeah. So like we're more concerned with you know, getting more tests out than like them being like perfectly polished and buttoned up. Yep. So if something's like trending really poorly and we don't think it will recover, like yep. obviously we'll turn it off before it reaches yep. stat sig, but we'll, yeah, we'll just basically, we just go by statistical significance. Yep. That's, uh, that that's the guide. So, um, all right, so you have, um, you have the problem, you have the objective, you have the hypothesis. Now, how are you, what's the nitty gritty of setting up this experiment? What tools are you using? How are you getting out there, users? Sure. So. We use like Optimizely nice. uh, as like an A/B testing tool. Um, we actually just finished um, and like rolled out into production our like internal like server side experimentation framework. So we're like a lot less limited to Optimizely. But when we did this, um, you know, this is a few months ago. We were using Optimizely, you know, to split the traffic. And it's also really nice for um, a team that has like very limited resources. Yeah. You know, the way my workflow would work is I'd have you know maybe two or three design docs that would be going to an engineer for the week. Yeah. And while they're working on them, you know, I can use Optimizely, even with pretty limited like front end coding yeah. skills to like still keep the pace up. Even if it's, you know, less impactful things like copy changes yeah, or yeah. image swaps, you know, we could, we, we just want to always be experimenting on like yeah. 100% of traffic. Nice. Um, so yeah, we'll set it up, so we set up an Optimizely. Um, this one needed like a, basically like a JavaScript like feature flag to be built yeah. on the back end. So then we'd use Optimizely, you know, put like the JavaScript uh, in. So it'd like trigger the experiment on the back end. Nice. Um, one thing that was like a little tricky in the beginning is, and, and what I've learned like from, you know, being a PM is you rarely have all the information about anything. Yeah. In fact, you just need to expect that you don't yeah. really have any context on anything, but you need to be like a detective, you know, like, all right, in the company or in the database, like all the answers are there. Yeah. It's like, I just got to find the person like that can answer this for me or like the, you know, basically you need to like do some detective work and yeah. like piece it all together. It's like, hey, here's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. You know, ask the right questions to the engineers, understand like what the possible, you know, options are for like implementation. Yeah. And then it's up to you to kind of like, you know, either challenge that or see if there's something different, but ultimately like pick the right kind of choice and rely on 
someone else's expertise. Yeah. All the time, I'm like outsourcing expertise, basically. Yeah. Who do you, who um, do you usually? Uh, I mean, in the order of like frequency, who do you usually bring in? Engineers, research, executives. Yeah. Or? So um, most of like the questions I have are engineering related. It's like, okay, this is the idea. Like yeah, the yeah. pre work itself. Like you kind of wear, you know, like your data analyst hat, your user research hat. Um, it's not too often that I'm like heavily reliant on someone for like the ideation side. Yeah. So yeah, it's mostly like my tech lead. Yeah. Um, that will I'll be like, okay, here's the idea. This is how I understand it. Like. You know, now you tell me like, what's going to block this? What's the best way to do it? Is it easy? Yeah. Is it tough? You know, how do we go about this? So yeah. It's most like my tech lead. Nice. Yeah. Um, one thing we, we skipped over a little bit, but um, how are you? Um, how are you looking at the data that's coming in in the first place to figure out like, oh, mm -hmm. this is a number we want to move up? Like, so basically, <coughs> I'm asking is like, where do you live most of your day? Like for me, I live in Heap a lot mm -hmm. of the time and Google Data Studio. But. Sure. Yeah. So I live in Mixpanel for all like the front end site. Uh, analytics. Yep. Um, so, you know, conversion rate, it's like pretty standard. You know, you've got like your funnel steps uh, set up yep. and you measure from, you know, the step in the funnel where the change was implemented, yep. you know, to purchased. And then, you know, a ton of different side analytics. So you can look at like, okay, only the users that were, you know, answered this on the survey or, you know, came from this acquisition channel or like what have you. So, and are you segmented down that in Mixpanel? Yeah. Oh, you are. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've got like a bunch of like kind of boilerplate looks yeah, that yeah. sort of look at like, you know, by geography, by, you know, what have you. Yep. So, um, kind of quickly, you know, filter through that. But if it's like, like the high level thing is, yeah, Mixpanel is most like all of the like conversion related activity. Yep. You can slice it up however you want, you know, for like different cohorts. Yep. But yeah, Mixpanel. And then um, Looker is what we use for like our, you know, kind of like post sign up like data surfacing tool or data yeah, yeah. visualization. So all of the, you know, retention data, you know, um, revenue data, you know, all that stuff is like in Looker. So those are like my primary nice. environments. That makes sense. Um, <coughs> all right, great. So you've got the experiment um, set up, you've talked to the hypothesis set up, you've talked to engineers, you've talked mm -hmm. to everybody else that needs to, and now what's next? Yeah, so, well, I guess part of the talking to the engineer step, you know, there's like a lot of different ways to do it. So it's yeah. like, okay, we can, uh, like we use Bradentree for like our payment um, processing. Yeah. So it's like, okay, one of the options is, you know, they sign up with the plan and then we actually have to like use Airflow or something to yeah. like pass a parameter back to like retroactively change the plan. Or we could just, you know, make like four copies of our current plans, which are like, you know, based off like the duration of the program. Yeah. And we could just assign a different like trial fee to each of them. So instead of like four plans, you know, depending on the trial fee choice, they're yeah. like, 16 plans they could choose. So it's kind of like all these different ways that we could actually implement it. Yeah. So ultimately, I like, just got to pick the easiest way. So yeah. it's like, you know, setting up new plans in Braintree and the only difference being like the trial fee. It's just like, it was just like way easier to do that. And, that, and that's, probably, that's, is that why you guys structured like, hey, pay a dollar, two dollars, five dollars, <coughs> rather than like pay whatever you want? Uh, we, yeah, I mean, we talked about, we, we tested having like a slider yeah, where they yeah, could yeah, like yeah. choose or like input their own value. Yeah. And um, I actually don't even know if those ran because I think it was like the same issue it's like it's very tough to like retroactively change something in Braintree so yeah, it's yeah. super user friendly yeah. on that side so yeah I don't think we actually pursued those but and that's like kind of one of the limitations like you got to understand like you know what is like limiting and so yeah. you got to make some sacrifices sometimes nice. um, yeah you know made the decision you know engineers you know built it out ran the experiment I think along the way we kind of broke like our expected revenue model because it's getting all these it was like a t like tuned for like a one dollar trial fee and all yeah, of a sudden yeah. you know some customers are coming in with you know, 18 times that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then it's like, you know, you kind of learn a little bit. It's like, all right, go apologize to like the acquisition yep. team. Go apologize to like the data team. Yeah. Like I didn't mean to break the model. Uh, <laughs> you know, you learn from it. Um, but yeah, we run the experiment. And so like in real time, I'm looking like in mixed panel, you know, just 
from like a sanity perspective as yeah. soon as you launch to make sure that like there's not a bug like people are actually getting past yeah. like this part of the funnel where we introduce the change we're actually seeing you know that like different trial fee values are coming in for different signups so it's like it's working um and then you know basically monitoring it on the signup side and then making like a look in looker to see like okay you know total signups you know broken down by you know trial fee choice and then like what's the distribution of like the choice and then you know looking at like three day retention yeah. seven day retention 14 day because you know we do have a two week trial period so yeah. really it's like 15 days to, to get the full look of the experiment yeah. but we want to go faster than that yeah. so we'll you know get signals for like three day seven day yeah. 14 day very um, well uh, yeah and how does that exactly work with optimizing splitting the traffic <coughs> mm -hmm. uh is it sending an event or what is sending an event to mix panels yeah like, hey, these ones got the, the experiment these yeah yeah so we'll actually um on both like a people property we'll assign like an event where it's like they were in you know experiment whatever 225 yeah. whether it's you know then the property of that experiment event would be, you know, either like control or variation. Yeah. And we've got like our, I mean, our data engineers are really great. We've got like an awesome environment. It's very easy for me to like navigate. Um, so it's like in mixed panel, I can like just like break down results by this experiment. So yeah. then it'll just show like side by side, like control and variation. Yeah, so I can well. see that like very easily, you know, same in Looker, you know, I can just pull like, okay, all signups, you know, tagged by this experiment name. It's the same, you know, thing that lives in mixed panel. Yeah. It's the same title from Optimizely and it just is all oh, happens. That's know, great. Boom, like real quick, I can like see them all, uh, you know, side by side. So, nice. yeah, it's, it's um, great. All right, so you ran it, you broke some stuff, you apologized, yes. uh, and now it happens. Um, yeah, and then it's like you know, analysis time. So it's like, okay, we've reached, this one we were like a little wary, because it also could have some implications for support team as well. It's yeah. like, okay, do we refund these, you know, um, things like that. So we kept actually a pretty small sample size to start yeah. and we're just looking at, yeah, just looking at the data. So obviously looking at conversion rate, I think initially when we ran it, it like reduced conversion rate by like five or 6%. Nice. Um, and then I think initially, you know, like looking at retention rate, cause that's like the big, you know, kind of factor on like the actual like profitability. Like, yeah. okay, if these people are signing up, that's great. Like getting to pay a little bit more for the trial isn't gonna like move the needle on the business, but yeah, like, exactly. you know, getting more people to subscribe. Yeah. And yeah, just kind of like tracking that. It was actually like trending not great on the retention side for like three and seven day, but yeah. it ultimately was like really big win on the retention side. Yeah. Um, you know, not to mention like additional revenue that we'd uh, capture from, you know, trauma fee and basically putting up that entire look and then looking not only at like the conversion rate difference and determining statistical significance, but also like the revenue difference um, as well as like any, you know, impact on like retention. And yeah, so just like running the numbers and then reporting them, getting feedback from all the other like PMs and then like iterating off. Do you guys do that on like a weekly basis? Yeah, so like every Monday we'll basically report like the previous nice. week, you know, just a real quick like hypothesis, you know, like a picture or GIF of experiment setup, yep. uh, you know, just like the raw or like interpreted data rather, yep. links out to the raw data if someone's like interested nice. in, um, you know, doing some analysis themselves. Yep. And then, you know, the PM will come with like their own learnings. Yep. Uh, basically get advice from everyone else if there's other learnings maybe they didn't like realize and then like follow up it's like okay are we gonna like iterate off this trying to improve it or is this like the follow-up basically is like don't ever do this again or like yeah yeah and then, that that's a big one as well <clears throat> we have to find that as well like we'll have like, like uh great um our stages of features is really like all right uh, is it in the backlog is it being scoped is it mm -hmm. being built and then is it in the testing phase and when it's in testing phase like everything it's always great but like you you got to be really careful of those experiments that like were great or were poor and just like all right do we let's make sure we have an action plan to like either kill that yeah do something with it or like evolve on it mm -hmm. and that i'm guessing like you guys basically take these lessons and go back mm -hmm. in that little directory of like hey these experiments is what we decided to do yeah yeah exactly yeah and so you know once we have that meeting then everything is kind of like pushed over into that sheet so yeah. it can be like reviewed later 
But I think the worst thing for us is when an experiment like middles out, it's like, you know, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. one and a half percent better at like 40% stat sick. It's yeah. like, it doesn't tell you anything. And so we've kind of learned also to be like a little bit heavy handed in implementation, yeah. like originally, just so it's like, this is like, we want a measurable change, whether it's really bad or like yeah. really good, but um, we don't want to just like make these little tweaks that like can't be measured because ultimately yeah. you don't like learn things from yeah. So we'll be like, really heavy handed. We're really trying to see like, in the experiments. it's like so obvious, yeah. like, you know, the customer's not going to miss it. It's like a big change in departure from like our typical yeah, flow. I like it a lot. Um, so yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, so what know, was the result? Oh, the, I mean, the result was like very, uh, very positive yeah. actually. So it was one of the rare instances where we actually baselined something that had lower, um, conversion rate. Yeah. It did have like a negative impact on conversion rate. Maybe people are like, this is kind of weird. This yeah, seems yeah. scammy, like who knows, but, um, you know, increase like, Revenue from like capturing more you know, trial fee, but also I think it was like six or seven percent it reduced uh, cancellation rate. Nice, that's amazing. Um, kind of what I was talking about earlier. You know, it's like people feel you know invested; they're actually going to use the product, and we saw that that was positively correlated with the amount that someone would choose to pay. Yeah. Um, and so whether that's you know basically like a selection yeah, that's yeah. like predetermined, or if it actually you know had an effect. If we looked at it in aggregate, it was like seven percent better. So I do think that the experience like led to that, um, but and now it's a really useful tool for kind of like bucketing customer groups. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like, whether it's an indication of like motivation or maybe like, you know, uh, of money like to spend yeah. basically willing us to pay, yeah. um, you know, whatever it is, like it's like a really n interesting indicator for us now yeah. that we like incorporate in other stuff. Very cool. Yeah. Um, the, what, what did people pay? What was that? Um, yeah, so people, I think when we first ran it, it was like 30, 35% chose a dollar yeah. and which was like shocking 99 or something and then um they kind of like tailed off you know from yeah. there but it was still about like eight to ten percent of people chose like the maximum uh wow yeah which is crazy Great. um and those people retained yeah and they're like basically twice as likely to stay through to sign up as someone that chooses a dollar nice um yeah Very really cool. really interesting yeah um if you could go back and do the entire thing over again anything you would change anything you'd update um well so there was like a major kind of bug actually with the experience yeah. which is i don't know how we actually figured it out or uncovered it but this was post you know baseline as a normal experience um there's a bug where basically we, we do charge tax in some states yeah. i think it's like 10 states or something yeah. um where those people even if they chose like ten dollars uh they would only be charged a dollar. Yeah, yeah. So all for like ten to fifteen percent of like we're the total um, customers, yeah. we were actually just like we were only getting an, we were basically leaving money on the table. Yeah. And we weren't getting any customer complaints because like they weren't getting charged more, yeah, they were getting yeah, charged yeah. less. When we look at the data like in aggregate, it's like, okay, we're seeing, you know this many people. We're, we're still seeing people choose a dollar, three, yeah. ten, and eighteen. So like it's really tough to parse out that like the one dollar selectors were actually like uh, overinflated. Yeah. So I think someone actually was on vacation in Arizona. And they try to sign up and they're like, oh, I got charged the wrong amount. And like someone on the marketing team and they like told me, uh, like, great. it took us forever to figure it out. So yeah. obviously, you know, I would, I think it's for like three or four months. Yeah. We're probably leaving like 10% of like potential revenue, like on the table, yeah. but you, know, you learn from it. Um, but I think like outside of that, like 2020 hindsight vision, yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't know if I would change anything. Yeah. It went pretty smoothly. On the next uh, episode, we'll talk about your terrible. Oh, terrible I got plenty of, yeah, I got plenty of them. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was phenomenal. Thank you very much for walking through that. I really appreciate it. Uh, I loved covering uh, one, just like the, the nitty gritty of the experiment, how you set mm -hmm. it up, what mm -hmm. the actual numbers were, the good stuff, the bad stuff, and just some of like the product and marketing stack that you guys use. That's mm -hmm. something that like I'm always really interested in. Oh, for sure. 
every team that I've ever been with uses something different and mm. finding that sweet spot. It sounds like you've got like a nice little love for looker and a nice little love. Yeah, for I panel. love looking. Mixed panel is a little squirrely. I fight with it yeah. sometimes, uh-huh. but I'm like learning to love it more. But yeah, yeah looker is amazing. Nice, <laughs> love that. Um, let's see. Do you have any questions that, that you would want to ask other PMs on the show, or I guess what would make you want to listen to this type of show mm. more? Um. I want to know just like how as a team grows, like a big thing for me is like I, at a point in time it was like 99% I was like experimenting and yeah. following this like workflow. Now I'd say about like 10% of my time is like experimenting. Yeah. Um, and we have not had a good process for like, okay, who's onboarding who or like what team needs to know what. And now yeah. that we're trying to grow internationally and that's like a big focus for us this year, we don't have like an international PM. So yeah. like, I'm kind of like de facto doing this like international work. I think it's more so like how do you just scale efficiently and not feel like you are um, just completely at the mercy of like, you know, questions and like structural like organization growing right. pains and you can still like make changes on like the product. Nice. But, Definitely yeah. makes sense. Well, once we, once we grow this community, the plan is like for something like that where it's an international question maybe or mm-hmm. someone that's like a scaled up a growth team or something. Yeah. Hopefully we can use Twitter or something on social media to find someone sure, yeah. to do it. Yeah, if someone's got a silver bullet for that, then you know, I'm all ears. Love that. Um, and then any PMs that you think should be on this podcast? Any PMs that you know Ooh. of? So I'm like really kind of new to the world still a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Like I've talked with a few other PMs and it seems like at noon we do things like a lot differently. Yeah, it's yeah. like, uh, so, I don't really, I don't, A, don't really know any other PMs. Uh, and then I guess I'd love to get the perspective of, you know, someone that maybe, who has worked at both a really big company, like, yeah, maybe yeah. like a Facebook PM, but it's also worked at an early stage yeah. and could just like kind of compare, um, like, you know, maybe I'm like biased, but I think like the way we go about it is like, just like hyper effective for yeah. the amount of resources we have. Yeah. And, you know, I'd be, you know, surprised if at like a much larger organization, it's like, you know, less effective, like per resource. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, just to get like a perspective right. like comparing well, the two. Hopefully I can, I definitely, I'm definitely interested in that as well because I've been in the early stage game for uh, a long time and I like really want to know what that other side is like. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully we can get some of those people on and by all means, I really do want to like figure out if this podcast is something that you actually enjoy because yeah, yeah, yeah. my plan is like, even if nobody else listens to it, they're like, all right, I'm enjoying it. Oh no, so, for sure. Yeah. It's been a good conversation. Nice it's always interesting when you like talking the same language as someone. Sometimes yeah. you feel a little bit like in a box. You're like, oh. No, I don't understand. You're crazy. I know. That's, <laughs> again, that's another goal here. It's like, yeah. all right, let's let's have one of these moments where we like admit to each other, like, oh, mm-hmm. you're in like that disaster like situation as well. Right. Like, it's right. very refreshing. Right. Right. That. right. All right, Keith. Thank you very much yeah, for coming thank on. Thank you. Appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Thanks this for the time. All right. Thanks, guys.